0: The most bizarre thing about that whole experience was he had kept, literally, every time my name had appeared in print, he'd cut it out and they had these dozens and dozens of scrapbooks. Anything I'd written, e- even really throwaway things mm. that I'd written for airline magazines or just, he'd kept everything.
1: everyone, my name is Inharad George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard and confronted. In today's episode, I am talking to Dylan Jones. Dylan is the renowned award-winning editor of GQ magazine, a position he has held since 1999. Since joining GQ, the magazine has won over 70 awards, and Dylan himself has been awarded the British Society of Magazine Editors Editor of the Year Award a record 11 times. This is alongside other incredibly impressive awards, including the Mark Boxer Award, honoring his lifetime achievement not only with GQ, but for his entire career in journalism. It all began for Dylan when, after graduating from Central Saint Martins School in Film, Photography and Graphic Design, he got a job at ID Magazine. A mere year later, he became its editor. Then this took him on to editing the monthly British men's magazine, Arena, and then on to The Face, The Observer and The Sunday Times. He has somehow managed to find time to become a best-selling author of a number of books, which also reveals his deep love for music. For instance, Dylan authored the Sunday Times bestseller David Bowie, A Life, the New York bestseller Jim Morrison, Dark Star, and the much-translated iPod, Therefore I Am. However, he's also worked on books which explore other avenues, such as collaborating with David Cameron on Cameron on Cameron, conversations with Dylan Jones and in 2010 he spent a week in Afghanistan with the armed forces collaborating on a book with the photographer David Bailey, British Heroes in Afghanistan. In June 2013 Dylan was quite rightly awarded an OBE for services to publishing and the fashion industry and in 2014 he was made an honorary professor of Glasgow Caledonian University. And I haven't even said it all. So Dylan, welcome to Daddy Issues and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank, thank, thank you very much for asking me. So take me back to your childhood and where you grew up.
0: Uh, my father was in the Air Force, so we lived all over the place. We lived in uh, Cyprus and Malta and Italy and in many places in the UK, so all over the place. And I've got a brother, who, mm-hmm. a brother who is in the, uh, in the Air Force. Yeah.
1: Okay, so he's followed your he, dad's footsteps. He has indeed, yeah. yeah. So tell us about your relationship with your father just to go straight there growing up. Um Well, he was
0: he was quite he was quite a violent man. Um but it was never something that I was uh that I particularly talked about. It wasn't something that I wanted to define me and it's only recently in the last couple of years that i've um that i've started to talk about it because it is it was one of those things that um uh i suppose i wanted to put behind me also in that day and age it wasn't unusual for kids to get thumped it was uh, it was it was a different i'm certainly not condoning it and it was it it was wrong but it was um a it wasn't unusual. Mm-hmm. And B, people really didn't talk about those things.
1: Yeah. Do you have any memories of being a child that stick out about your father? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, lots of... Um, there were lots of violent episodes, but lots of very happy ones, too. Yeah. You know, I've had a, I had a um, you know, reasonably happy childhood, I think.
1: And what was your father, other than being in the armed forces and being quite a violent man... What was his past what do you think led him to the violence
0: um i think probably frustration i think that that's usually the cause of of things like this i think Mm. frustration at not being where he wanted to be i think if you have a a sort of sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. uh, and there's frustrations that life perhaps isn't working out the way that you want it to and you take out your your you vent your frustrations on those around you
1: and what do you mean by saying that he wasn't where he wanted to
0: be that 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 I can only uh, I mean it's it's an assumption I think that um he was probably angry and frustrated um
1: and what would be your father's triggers to the violence uh
0: not sure actually i think that um triggers i think uh, arguments just escalated quite quickly i think um yeah i think that the um i think whereas in more rational human beings arguments would develop yeah I think that he allowed them to become physical quite quickly
1: so I want to now talk about your mum what was she like and what was your relationship like with her
0: it was very good I think that um, she obviously had uh, you know it was obviously very difficult for her yeah living with a violent man had huge consequences uh, obviously, tr- she tried to protect me, um, and it's diff. It's it's difficult to say that she was complicit, because she wasn't complicit. But uh, she found herself unable to to protect me to the extent that she possibly wanted to. I suppose.
1: How would she try and protect you?
0: Well, by taking me out of the situation or by fighting back. Yeah. You u- usual things.
1: Yeah. And so did it initially begin with your dad and your mum in some sort of domestic abusive relationship and then eventually sort of he turned on, for example, you and your brother?
0: Yeah, I mean, not my brother. My brother was, was too young, but, yeah, that, that's that's essentially it, yeah.
1: And how, if it did change, how did the violence towards you change? Because did you, you started to, to get your own muscles and strength, and did you hit back?
0: Eventually, yeah. Um, but by then he sort of stopped um, and said by the time I left home when I was 16, um, that was that was largely in the past.
1: And what was your parents' relationship like?
0: I mean, they separated on, on occasions and always came back together. And they probably came back together for the same reason that most people stayed together back then for economic reasons, mm-hmm. um, security... Uh, and also, there was far more stigma attached to separation and divorce 40 or 50 years ago than there is now. Obviously.
1: So you wrote quite interestingly. I I interviewed uh, Sir Tim Waterstone. This basically mirrored what he'd said about what happened to him because of his relationship with his father but you wrote about developing a stammer because you were hit as you say so hard for years it was difficult for me to speak without stammering how did that stammer sort of manifest and do you remember when it ended and how you think
0: that? Uh, it, it, I mean it hasn't ended I, I still have yeah. it now but you um, uh, you get used to it you learn to conquer it and you just got, you just um, you master it really mm-hmm. yeah I, I i mean inadvertently you become defined by your childhood but you have to you you have to use that development in a way that's positive mm. and conquer all the obvious manifestations uh, and conquering the stammer was a very uh, very important thing to do
1: did you make a very conscious decision to do it did you go to Not really of, no nope
0: i think in the last 20 25 years when I've had to do a lot of public speaking, mm. uh, you just have to you just have to conquer it. Uh,
1: and confidence maybe helps as well. Seeing. Confidence
0: certainly helps. Yeah, that's yeah, very very true.
1: And so going back, you speak about wearing your bruises as a teenager, like badges of honour. So tell me about that.
0: Yeah, I think that um, you know that there was, I suppose, very briefly um, having that kind of upbringing would have appeared to be, not transgressive, but something that possibly made you a little bit different for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that changed quite quickly. That wasn't something that um, I wallowed in for very long. I think it makes you quite steely, mm-hmm. perhaps. You become focused in a way. I think it makes you insecure. I think it makes you uh, question um relationships mm-hmm. intimacy i think it. uh i think it can affect you quite seriously but i was always determined that it wouldn't define me i don't know i think as i said before i think it gives you weirdly It gave me a, some sort of it gave me a strange sort of confidence even though it didn't always manifest itself like that I don't know.
1: Do you think it made you sort of detach yourself? So in order to cope, you sort of detach yourself from this person, and so you just completely independently have to carve out a life for yourself.
0: Yeah, I I, I would say that was largely true. Yeah, going to art school then was a, was um, a very particular thing to do. It and it was um, I mean very few people went to art school now. I mean when I went to St Martin's, there were probably maybe 70 or 80 people in in my year now if you go to um martin say on the foundation course it's 800 people um yeah, whoa. and it's in it's in it, it is institutionalized it's a different business model far more people have further and higher education um but back then if you went to art school you did you 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 felt quite special because it were uh, because um uh it wasn't the kind of thing which a lot of people did and actually um, it was a bit of a short term goal because uh, i wasn't really sure what i was going to going to do after that yeah but that's what i wanted to do so that's what i endeavored to do yeah but it was a great time to be in london i was uh, i'd moved to chelsea in ni- in the summer of 1977 it was the middle of punk There was a hell of a lot going on. I lived just near the King's Road. And it was a very intoxicating time to be in London. Mm -hmm. That whole period from punk developed into sort of post-punk into the sort of new romantic period. Mm -hmm. And it was a rise of style culture. There was a lot going on in music and in fashion and in publishing uh, and in theater and in cinema. And it was just a very exciting time to be in London.
1: Mm. And where were your parents at this point? Where were they based?
0: uh i they were all they were all over the place I think they were going through a period of separation, so they were they were in various different parts of the country
1: did your relationship with your father did it make you f- how was your then relationship with men around his age? Do you remember there being some sort of either fear factor or not anything really. nothing yeah no,
0: not at all. I completely compartmentalized the entire thing
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah. Why do you think you then spoke out about it last year after you did something called the Hoffman Process, which is a, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but a seven-day intensive course which holds the belief that mental health and behavioural patterns are largely attributed to early childhood. So in order to sort of rid of them, you have to confront those memories again and sort of recalibrate or disconnect from those childhood traumas. Do you remember what brought you to that Well, I went on
0: the course and I had absolutely no intention of writing about it. Mm. None. And then I found the course, in the main, to be fascinating and initially very helpful. And I suppose I wanted to write about that experience and also to tell other people who perhaps were were feeling, uh anxious or Mm -hmm. traumatized or were in trauma um that there was this experience that i'd had that i thought was beneficial and and that and that it might benefit
1: them Mm. do you link or have you ever thought of linking the relationship with your father to your then brilliant success
0: no not at all um I don't think I don't think I've been compelled to uh, to to work hard or to achieve to uh, principally to to uh, to get recognition from my father mm-hmm subconsciously have I possibly possibly but that certainly wasn't the
1: the driving the conscious driving it, force it
0: wasn't the prime motivator no mm. no i am I'm, I'm certain about that i think i wanted to uh, i wanted to achieve i wanted to get on i mean i was in and in, um, in fact that's not strictly true i i wanted to pursue what i was doing and i wanted it to do it well it's such a cliche but it's so true whenever i've done something for uh, a reason because i wanted to work in a particular industry or in a, 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 a certain sector whenever i've done something that i've done for reasons other than the fact that i completely wanted to do it myself mm. i've 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 been less happy than i would have done than than i would have been if i'd have just chosen to do something because it made me happy it remains a cliche, but it's fundamentally true that you should pursue things that make you happy. A lot of people don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I do know is that I used that word before. It has it has helped me compartmentalize things and I'm very good at that. Mm. Which consequently, in some aspects of work, makes me makes it very easy for me to be multi disciplined, I suppose. Um but and that's probably as a consequence of, of compartmentalizing things when I was younger, but I am, I, I'm not sure I can draw a, a direct line between that and success. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, how do you define success? It, yeah. Um, uh, I, I've been successful in, in a particular way, but I've, I've I've been I've that I've been very I've been very prescriptive about it there are other things I could have done to have been more successful or to pursued other avenues and I haven't done that because I realized quite early on that if I was to be happy then I should pursue the things that were going to make me happy
1: yeah did you still have a relationship with your father
0: Sure yeah yeah right up until he, d- he died yeah I had a pretty good relationship with him the Time another great cliché I mean most clichés are, are 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 true, which is why, which is why they're well worn. Time time is a great healer. It was a long time ago.
1: So the Hoffman process. Yeah. You say that there was a new memory that appeared.
0: I completely forgot that I used to be locked under the stairs. Um, uh, completely forgot about this, and it came up through some of the um, therapy sessions yeah. that you had. It was extraordinary, actually. It was a fascinating and quite traumatic and intense week um and a lot of the residual stuff has fallen away now because you're meant to do a lot of a lot of homework afterwards which I didn't really do yeah. but as uh, i i won't um i uh, I, uh, I could never take away the experience it was an it was an extraordinary experience it really was it was like um it was like many things many 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 courses that you can go on uh, that deal with this sort of thing. Mm. That I- they do change you, and they take you to places that you perhaps didn't think you'd get to. And uh, I found the whole thing, not all of it, but I found pretty much the the, uh, the week fa- fascinating. And uh, I, I do recommend it to some people. I think it's a very um, it can be very positive mm. and very beneficial.
1: You talk about um, leaving feeling lighter, and what do you think that lightness was?
0: you get brutalized in an alien environment and you become quite sensitive um, and so when you immediately leave you're meant to go through this sort of valve Mm -hmm. you're meant to take yourself off to um, a B&B for a weekend before you re-acclimatize okay yeah which I didn't do because I just wanted to go home Um, but I should have done because you're quite raw yeah and that make that makes interaction with people quite um, odd Mm, it does it does go though it it changes quite quickly it's a bit like coming back from holiday yeah uh and you're brown and you're relaxed and and then three (laughs) days later you're back and even though i didn't do the homework much of it and even though um a lot of that feels a long way way now it was of benefit yeah it was definitely of benefit
1: yeah definitely because it made you write two things about that relationship with your father which is hugely beneficial for a potentially very cathartic sense but also possibly for for other people Uh, well well, that's
0: one of the reasons i I didn't write it as a self-help guide but i did think this is a great experience and i should write about it i would feel different about it if i wrote about it now with some distance Mm. but as i say it it uh, it doesn't negate what happened the most unlikely people have done things like this yeah yeah <laughs> and you get an email or a, or a note from someone and they you know it, it's it's yeah you you become uh it's a bit, probably a bit like being a mason i suppose but but um you have a shared experience even though you were doing it at very different times and in different places Mm-hmm. Um One of the nice things is that you get a lot of letters from people
1: oh right yes who
0: who go on the course and I've had some quite amazing letters actually um from people who say that it helped them or it saved them or but I would imagine that because they those letters would have been written in moments of in- intensity, so that changes, and they'll feel different about it six months or a year later mm-hmm But it's a very intense course, and it does help some people um, a hell of a lot. There was one person on our course who was the person that you tended to steer clear of because they looked really um, raw and unhappy Mm -hmm. and uh, damaged, potentially damaging. Mm -hmm. And it was great to see that person develop over a week. And and change and become happier and, and, and more outgoing, more accommodating. And that person, they were probably the person I stayed in touch with longer than anyone else. Very oh, interesting. And I think that where they are now, I mean, I don't know because we, we haven't stayed in touch. But they were certainly on a much better path than they had been before they went in. And yeah. they, they were someone... really needed something like this and you could see the benefit yeah and that was terrific to watch seeing the effect it had on other people was almost as important as the effect it had on me
1: yeah and going back to your dad how did he if he did you know view your um, path and what you were doing and
0: I think um, he found it very difficult to to give praise but what I do know is that um, when he died he, he was in he was in a, a care home and my brother and I went to basically clear his room mm-hmm. take all his possessions um, destroy things that we didn't want to keep things that we did um, and that's a that's that's a very odd thing for a person to have to do yeah but the the most bizarre thing about that whole experience was he had kept literally every time my name had appeared in print he'd cut it out and they had these dozens and dozens of scrapbooks right yeah. I mean dozens of an embarrassing number of them literally mm. anything I'd written mm. to, uh, you know in, e- even really s- throwaway things mm. that I'd written for airline magazines or just he would kept everything I th- that was an odd experience because my brother kept saying here's another one here's another one here's okay. another one so that was it was odd on so many different levels the fact that i was doing it with my brother um who obviously had a different relationship with my father my father who has probably had a lifetime of guilt because of this mm-hmm. um and the fact that I suppose in some respects he could only express his care and love through the accumulation of all of these scrapbooks.
1: Yeah. (laughs) God, that must have been so moving.
0: Uh, It was, yeah. It was was very moving.
1: And with the difference between your brother's um, relationship with your dad, did you ever speak about that together?
0: Occasionally, not much. There wasn't much that needed to be said, really. I mean, we, yeah, we have talked about it, and we have talked about it at length, but we haven't talked about it that often. Yeah. And I don't think we need to.
1: Did you ever talk about it with your mum? Yeah.
0: But again, sort of episodically.
1: Yeah. And did you ever talk about it with your dad? Did it ever come up with him?
0: Very Occasionally. Yeah, very occasionally, not with any great sense of um, closure either, mm-hmm. really.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Because uh, I don't, I don't think things were particularly resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think they were. So they're they're unresolved, but I don't think they're for me. The I don't find the fact that they are unresolved in any way. How can I put this? It doesn't stop me moving forward. No, he doesn't.
1: And by unresolved, do you mean he never gave you an answer that you thought was satisfactory? or No, we we, just, we didn't really talk about it. Yeah. Unresolved, but a reconciled sort of relationship with him.
0: Uh, reconciliation, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Unresolved reconciliation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so what was it like for you to become a father yourself. Great. And did it sort of redefine your idea of what a father was because obviously yours had been quite different to you. Yeah,
0: I absolutely think it did because for years I wasn't interested in having kids. Mm. I had no interest at all. Um, Possibly because of uh, my own childhood. But yeah, it's been completely fulfilling. It's been all the things that that, that it can be.
1: And my last question that I ask everybody, if your dad was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him
0: i suppose if he were listening to this we would have to have a conversation afterwards which would perhaps be more of a um a sort of rounding of the circle i suppose um Mm -hmm. yeah i suppose we'd have to have an an uncomfortable conversation i don't think i particularly want one but we'd probably have to have one (laughs)
1: yeah <laughs> thank you so much Tim pleasure jones. absolute you were, pleasure wonderful thank you so much for listening to my episode with dylan jones at the time of recording it slightly threw me that dylan's experience with his father didn't seem to follow what i'd built as the premise for my podcast however It was actually incredibly important that I had someone on who challenged what I've theorized within Daddy Issues. And it was both refreshing and in fact, much needed. There are so many life lessons in this episode and I hope you found it to be as inspiring as I did. If you like Daddy Issues podcast, I would be so grateful if you could rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify as it helps other people find us and get Daddy Issues to as many eyes and ears as possible. You can find the links to these on www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Warby Productions, who is the master of both sound and music, Ben and Aaron at Interface, who have made my website and do all the graphic design. And thank you guys for listening. I love hearing your thoughts, so don't hesitate to get in touch. If there's anything at all that's affected or resonated with you and you'd like to get some support or follow up on anything that's been said, previous guest and psychotherapist, Julia Samuel has an incredible website www.griefworks.co